0: Uh, welcome everyone, blessings to you all, and um, it's a pleasure to be gathered here in his name. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 as we prepare to continue our study of the book of Acts. We're talking about pausing the study of Acts to, uh, to do another study and then hopefully coming back to it in the future, and we don't know exactly when that will be, but just to warn you, we might have a pause soon will be in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 36. Actually, I'm gonna start in verse 32. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we want to know you, enjoy you, and see you glorified. Please pour out your spirit on your church for repentance and newness of life. Make us willing servants and break us, mold us, fill us, and use us for your good pleasure. We trust you and welcome you into this place that you have prepared as a sanctuary for your name and your spirit and your glory. Unite us, we pray. Unite us in these things. Come, Holy Spirit, fall on us now. Before we begin in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, I just want to say that the Holy Spirit is the best person you will ever know. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful person. God has eternally existed in three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, is of one substance, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, very and eternal God, or in essence, eternal God. The Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Today, as we begin, I want to look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in this section of Acts chapter 2, beginning in, we'll start in verse 32. Peter is preaching. He's preaching to the crowd of assembled uh, people who heard them speaking in tongues and some said, ah, oh, y'all are drunk and some wondered and marveled and Peter explained this is the prophetic word of the pro- given to the prophet Joel, now fulfilled in this generation and he's about to say, and it's for y- all, this whole generation and the next generation and all the generations to come. This is the wonderful revelation of the the kind and generous will of God. We're going to look at the disciples and their glad and generous hearts. But that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, whose joy and out of, who out of the overflow of his joy and his generosity is poured out upon the people gathered together, even us in this generation. Verse 32, Peter is preaching, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He just finished quoting Joel, Chapter Two. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says... Oh, and he also finished quoting uh, Psalm 16. Now he quotes Psalm 110. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, prophetically, by the Holy Spirit, a thousand years before, the Lord, that's Yahweh, said to my Lord, that's the Messiah, sit at my right hand. That means... Ascend into heaven, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now I just want to pause there a second. Just not many verses back, People were mocking and saying, you guys have had too much to drink. And Peter begins the first sermon uh, after, uh, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the the first big sermon in the New Testament after the ascension. He begins it with, no, 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 we're not drunk. It's too early to be drunk. Like, you know, people don't start drinking until later. There's celebration and feasting here for for this holiday, but that doesn't start until later in the day. And it's only nine in the morning. You know, that's a good opening, opener to the sermon. So people are mocking him, mocking them at first saying, you guys have had too much to drink. What's the difference? What just happened here? Why all of a sudden are they not, are they rethinking their lives and cut to the heart? What's the difference? It's the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. The Holy Spirit has already begun to be out to, to, to touch their lives after being poured out on the apostles. This whole crowd, some of whom had cried out days before, weeks before, crucify him, crucify him. And it is to these that God has ordained to give the greatest blessing of history, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful wonderful person. Who would do that? Who would do that to his enemies, to gather them, to be identified with him, sanctified by him, and raised up from lowliness to positions of authority in the kingdom, having authority over sin and sickness and the devil, and join in the work of the apostles and spreading the gospel to the next generation. This is who the Holy Spirit is, and he is here now. When they, had heard that, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter was later to write in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, upon encountering the Holy Spirit, upon encountering invisible the invisible Spirit of God, uh, right, right there in the room, so to speak, they were probably outdoors. Upon encountering God, the first thing God ministered to them through His preacher wasn't the love of God; it was, "You crucified my Son." you crucified the Son of God. And the uncomfortable thing about following Christ is that we find ourselves getting settled into, I'm doing okay, things are going well, I've made the necessary changes and nothing more, and now I'm, now I'm in the kingdom of God. And then the Holy Spirit falls on us again as Christians. These are non-believers or pre-believers, but the Holy Spirit is always doing the same kind of work. He's always meeting us and convicting us of our sins. When we follow Christ, we have to, be, we have to renew our daily decision to be yielded to the Lord, heart, soul, mind, strength, body, money, dreams, goals, hobbies, every single, relationships, uh, how we treat everybody. We have to be renewed in a daily presenting ourselves before the Lord, acknowledging him in all our ways and being ready to hear him speak to us because as wonderful as the Holy Spirit is, he is daily calling us to renewed repentance. That is the difficult thing. When they heard this they were cut to the heart saying brothers what shall we do to be se- what shall we do and peter said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They're about to be baptized. There are probably some there who have already been baptized by John. Do you think those people who were previously baptized by John the Baptist would need to be baptized again? If you grew up Baptist, doesn't that strike you as like, "We shouldn't do that. Don't need to rebaptize, right? The baptism of John was a preparatory baptism, a foreshadowing of, of the Christ who was to come. And he himself said, I baptize you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Or Jesus said, He baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so the Holy Spirit came. And divided tongues of fire came and rested on the apostles and all those, all the 120 men, women, probably children in the room. And we are immediately taken back to Moses. When Moses encountered the Lord on the mountain, how did the Lord present himself there? Um, There was a bush. It was on fire. The bush was not consumed a living tree surrounded and infused with the presence of the Lord, manifested by fire, and yet the tree was not consumed. And Moses was invited to stand in that very holy presence of God. And now the holy presence of God is coming to cleanse, to sanctify, to burn up the dross, but to come in his glory and his power. The same God who appeared to Moses at at the giving of the law, now on the Jewish holiday Pentecost, which is in the Jewish mind directly associated with the giving of the law to Moses because of the timing of how it comes after Passover. Now you have the Lord appearing again in fire to bless and to empower Jesus was about to continue his great exodus, that is, leading these people out from slavery to sin and pouring out the fire like the fire seen on the mountain and bring them into the promised land. And so, John's baptism was a preparatory baptism. Now, they're to be baptized in the divine name, Jesus himself. It's a summary of the Great Commission. They're to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to receive the teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples. And they're to participate in discipleship and be raised up as disciples and go into all the world and disciple every family everywhere as the Holy Spirit empowers and leads them. It is this new baptism is the initiation into the covenant community. In the Old Testament, um, all the male children were circumcised, a cutting off of the flesh, right? And Abraham had faith and then received the sign of the covenant, the sign of his face. He was given circumcision. But his son Isaac... Was circumcised when he was uh, when he was a little boy before he had any faith. It was a sign of his initiation into the covenant community. It was a, it was a promise that God was going to give the faith that the next generation would need to continue in covenant with God. Circumcision, as Paul so. Uh, effectively argues in the New Testament, does not guarantee that those children will have faith. Baptism is like that. Whether you believe in baptism is only for people who have made a profession of faith, or whether you identify baptism as the sign of initiation and inclusion in the covenant— as about, uh, as all these new believers were making a profession of faith and baptized, but in about a quarter of the uh, baptisms in the New Testament, whole families are baptized. That doesn't explicitly say that that the babies were baptized, but it doesn't just open the door to the possibility, it's highly probable that those who are yet too young to have faith were included in this covenant as uh, and receive the sign of baptism, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So this baptism is given as a sign of membership in the covenant community and the whole family is included. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. This wasn't the only crooked generation. Uh, Moses used that same phrase, this crooked generation, and it's used elsewhere in the scriptures. And I don't know if there ever was a righteous generation. I mean, you know, there were some righteous people identified in the Scriptures. There are several, people like Noah and Daniel and uh, the man who was carried up into heaven uh, in Genesis, whose name I don't recall. (laughs) Enoch, thank you. Um, You know, and I think one or two more of whom nothing ill is spoken in the scriptures. The scriptures specifically don't say anything bad about them, not that they never sinned, but there are a few people who are kind of uh, presented as, they're, they're presented in, their, in righteousness without comment on their sin, which is noteworthy. But I don't think there ever was a righteous generation The righteous generation. So, so we who are sanctified become the righteous generation. And the righteousness is the righteousness of God, administered by the Holy Spirit through the purchasing power of Jesus' blood applied where our sins are laid upon Him, and the wrath of God is poured out upon Christ on the cross, and we who are united by one Spirit are saved. And so Peter preaches, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, this was a particularly crooked generation, one might say, because they crucified Christ himself. And yet, it was to these who had done, I think, the worst thing that anybody other than Judas had ever done or could ever do. It was these that God first appointed for salvation, the disciples who abandoned him and and left him, and resumed their lives of fishing, and these who cried out, crucify him. Do you see what's in the heart of God towards his lambs? God never changes. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the God we worship. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is a picture in miniature of the kingdom of God spreading, like if you ever make bread, I used to, when I was single, I spent a lot of time cooking. I didn't have anything to do or anybody to cook for. So I baked a lot and I used to like making bread. And you take a little teeny tiny bit of, bit of bread and you mix it in your flour mixture and that little tiny, I said bread, a little tiny bit of yeast and you mix a little tiny bit of yeast in your loaf of bread or loaves. And as you knead it, that little tiny bit of yeast is enough to work its way through the whole batch of dough. And in a half hour, or an hour or two, it has, uh, it has produced enough gas to inflate the entire loaf of bread, a lump that was no more than this size, becomes maybe many loaves of bread. A little yeast works its way through a whole batch of dough. The kingdom of God is like that. This, this passage is a picture in miniature of the kingdom of God, starting as small as a little speck, a little seed, but it's about to grow into rooted and established in Christ and the prophets and the apostles. It's about to grow, or rather many are being grafted into the existing tree, and the Holy Spirit is setting it ablaze, but not to destroy it, to empower it and to make them the light of the world, Uh, a light set on a hill so that the whole world can see it. And already in Acts chapter 2, we saw people from from, poetically speaking, every nation in the world all running to hear the sound of the mighty rushing wind. It was the breath of God. It was the Spirit of God breathing the breath of life into these, his people, and to those who were about to join the fellowship. And so this is a a picture in miniature of the kingdom of God growing and spreading and bearing fruit. There were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Have we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching? What is the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching is two things. It's apostles and it's teaching. So there are disciplers. Are you devoted to to being discipled by a godly discipler who is ministering to you and spending time with you and teaching you the things of God. Most people in the modern church would say, well, no, I do that, but I'm not devoted to that. In this passage is a call to action to examine ourselves, and I'm talking about me too, am I devoted to the teaching of the apostles and the generations of teachers and disciples after them? Am I devoted to to being taught, and then what is the teaching? The teaching is summarized in, uh, if you wanna know who the Holy Spirit is, you look at the person of Jesus. Um, In summary, we may look at Matthew chapters five through seven, starting with the Beatitudes, and Jesus explaining the law, the law given through Moses, the law not invalidated, but upheld by Christ. Are we devoted to being taught by Christ, as the Holy Spirit ministers to us the Word of God. Is this our lifestyle? Is this what we wake up to do? Is this our 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 main thing? Or are we all about fill in the blank? This is a call to action, to join in this pattern, this example. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, this one's easier for me because I like fellowship, and I uh, am very fond of you all, and uh, I like spending time with the family of God. And um, am I devoted to the fellowship? That's harder, Lee uh, and I would say, with multiple children, all small, often loud, often needy, running around, sometimes actually being underfoot, literally. It's very hard to be devoted to fellowship. How hard is it to have you guys over for dinner or go over to one of your houses for dinner uh, or whatever we're gonna do, um, when I've also gotta make sure I'm being a dad and raising my children up and actually giving them enough attention, the amount of attention kids need, which is like 98% of my attention. 98% 98% of the time. Waking and sleeping. Just kidding. Feels like it. <laughs> this, this also is a call to action. And it's, I'm talking about me. Am I, are you, devoted to fellowshipping with believers? Or is our time apart spent in a way, there's a balance here obviously. We have responsibilities, jobs. We occasionally need to sleep and eat and work and all that, right? we've got a. But if this is balance, and by balance, I mean the example here, and as close to it as we can get, right? I don't think these people all quit their jobs. I don't think these people all did, took this to a crazy or unreasonable extreme. I don't think they were idle, right? This isn't a call to be idle so that I can watch movies together. There's a, there's a quality of the fellowship and it would of course include some recreation. But are we as a congregation, are we devoted to fellowshipping with one another or do we kind of do our own thing and meet together once a week? It's a call to action. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, that phrase is about to be repeated a few verses down. Here it's referring to the Lord's Supper, communion, you might call it Eucharist, the Eucharist. right They, they didn't miss the Lord's Supper. They regularly celebrated it as, as a, a ceremony of reenactment of the covenant, right remembering the Lord's death until His return. They took the Lord's Day seriously. That's how I read this. That's, that's a call for every one of us. They devoted themselves to the prayers. In Jewish culture at this time, there were regular times of prayer. And here during the, during the feast days, because they're celebrating Pentecost, you know, all week long, there are like regular times of prayer. But there were always regular times of prayer. This is a holy call from the Holy Spirit to you now, Do you have regular times of prayer? Do you pray with others? Do you pray alone? I have, in my life, come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and realized I haven't prayed in such and such an amount of time. That would mean I would be not under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to obey this example and pattern and not taking the scripture seriously. This is, I hope to persuade you, a miniature picture of the kingdom of God in action. And our lives must conform to it. They must. They must. This is what Christianity has to look like. Not in an extreme, with balance, and health, and within reason, but we've got to be all in, or how can you be all in following Jesus? if How can you... We've just got to be fully committed, resolved to obey him in every area, no matter the cost. And we need to be renewed in that every day. I'm talking about me. This is a miniature picture of the kingdom of God, but it is an incomplete picture. In the coming chapters, beginning in chapter 4 and beyond, uh, it will worsen. Uh, There will be persecution and suffering And when we transition from kind of the first section of Acts, which mostly follows Peter and the disciples with him, to Paul and the disciples with him and the churches they plant, um, we're going to see especially an example of one who suffered many things for his name. It's normal Christianity. These people who are running together to hear the word of God, those who receive it, they're going to be they're gonna be baptized with fire, right? The dross will be burned away and consumed. All of, the, all of the half-hearted living, all of the low expectations of who this Holy Spirit is and what he is doing are going to be burned away and what will remain will be fear of God and brotherly love and glad and generous hearts, devotion, devotion to these things, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to sharing in communion, and to the prayers, will become people of prayer. We would, that awe would come upon every soul in this room. Awe is fear. Fear is awe. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Here's breaking bread again, but notice that it says their homes. Did they get rid of personal property? No, they still had homes, right? So they're not practicing a form of communalism where, where they renounce possession of property or renounce the idea of private property. They're simply sharing. They're sharing according to anyone, whatever they have need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Here, breaking bread is referring to eating together. So, I don't know, there are probably a couple people here who haven't been over to our house for dinner yet, but your time is coming soon. Um, (laughs) This is a call to us to be devoted to inviting each other over, to going out together, to share food in our homes. This is the Christian way. And that's really hard if you're a private person, and some people are a little bit more outgoing, and some people are a little bit more private. But two things. When we meet the Holy Spirit, and when we give ourselves wholly to Him, when we give Him total control of our lives, we lose something of our dignity. We said the first thing the Holy Spirit ministers to us when we meet him isn't necessarily a, a hug, at least not in this passage. It's, it's reveal it, a revelation of his holiness and the subsequent conviction of sin. And we cry out, what do you want me to do? And then he already has the answer ready. He already has himself And he gives us more of himself, and we enjoy his presence. And then we've lost something of our dignity, something of our privacy, but I'm not talking about something inappropriate or out of balance, but we've lost something there. There's a price to pay for a Christian community. Leah and I can attest to that. There's a price to pay um, to... To, to meet him in repentance because we lose something of our dignity and then we lose something of our right to, to keep our homes back for our use only. Our homes must open in a way where sharing is made possible and made normal. And that is hard to do. That is hard to do. But it is a delight. I love to share meals with you guys. I can't believe I'm not 100 pounds heavier yet. (laughs) Breaking bread in their homes. I love bread. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Okay, so these are the people, some of whom had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. These are the people, some of whom had mocked and said, you guys are drunks, right? Right? So these are the ones God chose to forgive, to sanctify, to cleanse, and to pour out this, the promise of the Father, promised of old, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives is joy, glad and generous hearts. Sometimes life is hard, and sometimes we struggle. There's not a constant being filled with joy, but there will be a repeated filling with joy as there are repeated fillings with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy and love, generosity, generous hearts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is praise. The more filled with the Spirit we are, no matter how hard that season of life may be, there will be yet joy when we're fellowshipping with His Spirit. So cry out to God. In, I think, Psalm 62, um, David cries out. Let me just turn there. In about half the Psalms, the psalmist is in distress, in need, and in poverty of soul. In about half the Psalms, the psalmist is exuberant and joyfully praising God as the primary mode of the psalm, right? Um, I'm thinking of a different psalm, but um, uh, let's see if I wrote it down. Didn't write it down. Uh, It goes, why are you downcast, O my soul? 42. 42, man, you guys are good. When I find that my heart is not glad, filled with the joy of the Lord, I pray. I devote myself not to comforting myself most of the time and, you know, taking it easy, taking a break. I, We, this is a call to devote ourselves to seek the Lord in prayer, as David did in Psalm 42, um, verse, uh, halfway through uh, verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Going back to Acts 2. This passage is a picture and miniature of the kingdom of God at work, but it's not a complete picture because sufferings and persecutions must come. Why has God abandoned us? Sometimes we feel that way, and God forbid we think that. He has not. Sufferings must come that we may be tested in our faith and sanctified that what is dross What is like wood and hay and stubble may be burned up within us. And it is the preordained and holy, loving work of the Holy Spirit. And it hurts because we're having to give up a part of ourselves. You see, the Holy Spirit would shape and mold us. He would burn up the wood, hay, and the stubble and leave that which the Holy Spirit has deposited us in us through the word of God, through the church, and the Spirit himself testifying to our spirit. Things like gold and silver and precious stones. This is what it's like. The ho- our Father sent the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to take us, if you can imagine, let's say you're a sculptor, and you order a giant block of soft clay, right? You're gonna use different tools. While it's still soft, you're gonna cut away. That hurts. The, the cutting away of that which is dross and sin, the Holy Spirit would sanctify me, would sanctify you every day. And to, to shape what remains with his hands, with his invisible and powerful and loving hands, to shape you, into the image of Christ. Or think of it another way. Think of, you're a sculptor, you order a giant block of marble, maybe a fine block of white Italian marble, right? And it comes in a big rectangle. The Holy Spirit has, um, has already been put inside you, but you need to be, uh, you need to be we said with a soft block of clay shaped into the image of christ or with the marble analogy he cuts away everything that is not of christ to reveal he who is already inside of you not to bring out the best in you but to bring out christ in you not to not to bring out the good or that which is divine in you, the the spark of the divine, right? Not that, but you were made in the image of God, right? But to shape you into someone else's image, into his image, that's the biblical idea of identity. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing here. I was gonna tell a joke. I was gonna say, I forgot my watch. And then like five of you were gonna say, there's a clock in the back. And then I was going to say, I forgot my glasses and I can't see the clock. But it's too late to tell that. And I can see the clock. So um, I think we'll have to cut out the rest of this. Let me skip ahead. Um, there is this work of the Holy Spirit. He, Let's flip over quickly to John chapter 16. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit among us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit living, breathing, dwelling within you. In Galatians, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And those who are led by the Spirit have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening right here in to. 2. They're the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Acts 2.43, it says, awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles are one of the gifts of the Spirit. The evangelists and teachers, right? They're gifts of miracles and healing, of of wisdom, words of knowledge. The Holy Spirit gives power to drive out demons, to cast out devils by the finger of God, right? uh, And so on. You can read about it in Romans 12 and 1. Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, and I think also in 1 Peter 4, There are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We know the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but in summary, the Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom and empowerment to fulfill the Great Commission, but he himself is presence of God, personal presence, God with us. The work of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1:2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's the first Holy Spirit sighting in the scriptures. He's always been here, doing this creative work, breathing the breath of life into Adam. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I bet they're all thinking, like, No, it's not. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable to be a Christian. He will, what's the first thing? Convict concerning sin. And that's part of the cost of following Christ. You have to be willing to let him point out with you Point out in you anything that offends him, like the psalmist prayed. Uh, Josiah, thank you for your message on we need to desire accountability this morning. That was very helpful for me. He will convict concerning sin, convict concerning righteousness, because we can't see Jesus anymore, but we can see the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't see him. He's as invisible as wind is, but we can, we can see the breath of the Holy Spirit giving new life, and we can see his work. Therefore, we can see the righteousness of God in one another. We can see the righteousness of God in the corporation or the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives conviction of judgment. Why? Because Satan is judged so I don't want to be with Satan, I, don't want, to be with, I want to be with God. That's, that's what this is saying. It's not saying there's condemnation for Christians. It's saying, yeah, you need to repent and not be part of the kingdom of Satan because you can only be part of the kingdom of Satan or part of the kingdom of God. You can't be part of any other kingdom and you can't be part of both. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus said, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, so he is, he is the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all the truth. That doesn't primarily mean that just by thinking and having a lot of time in private meditation where I just close my eyes and think, I'm going to be guided by the Holy Spirit into truth. It actually doesn't mean that. It Jesus said a few chap- one chapter later in chapter 17, he said, sanctify us by the truth, in the truth. Your word is truth. Prayer and meditation begins with the scripture. It begins with the word of God. We meditate on the scripture and the spirit applies the holy scripture to our hearts. So when I want to have a quiet time, where do I go? Do I close my eyes and just get real still and just kind of subjectively say, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Should that be my normal devotion time? Biblically, no, that should not be your normal devotion time. Biblically, my normal devotion time should be opening this meditating on this, and asking the Holy Spirit to open my mind to understand this, and to convict me of sin, not to make me feel guilty or overwhelmed with the pressure of things I did or didn't do. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and sin is ignoring God in the world that he created. It's failing, uh, it's I don't even like the word failure. I'm going to use a friendlier word. It's not um, obeying uh, the commands of God as revealed in the scriptures, right? It's rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. And how do I know when I'm doing that? I know that by the scripture, and I know that by holy men and holy women who come alongside me and disciple me and say, John, this is something the Lord would minister to you. The Lord would change this. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. That's how he does it. Verse 14. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Jesus glorifies the Father. One God in three persons, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Always in perfect harmony, bringing, uh, bringing us and lifting our gaze to glorify God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage in Acts 2, we see something of the community and the culture created by the Holy Spirit. And we see the unity and closeness created by the Holy Spirit. And all this just points us to who He is in all His wonder, love, glory, and majesty. He gives himself to the people he created so that we might know him, become like him, and enjoy him forever. But we have to welcome the Holy Spirit and let him mold us, cut away at us, chisel away at us day by day to reveal the image of Christ until Christ is fully formed in us. We're going to close in prayer at this time. If the servers for communion could come forward. Please join with me in prayer. Oh Lord, make us to be your willing servants and break us, shape us, fill us, and use us for your predetermined good and holy purposes. Fill us now with thy loving spirit and use us now For we love thee in return and desire to give thee back the life you have purchased by your own blood. Therefore, we say by your Spirit, everybody together, not my will, but yours be done. All together, not my will, but yours be done. Amen.